single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. This is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Good. I got um, Rue Morgue Magazine put out this great coffee table book. I talked about the first one. It's Michael Gingold's Ad Nauseum series. Oh, yeah. And I got in the mail Ad Nauseum 2. Okay. How is it? It Well, it's newsprint nightmares. So it's... New- Michael Gingold is the type of nerd who took his local newspaper and clipped all of the damn movie advertisements and then put them in a coffee table book. (laughs) The downside, though, is that the 90s and the 2000s were Mm -hmm. not known for their good posters. No, they were not. It's, yeah, I guess... Every poster in this book is just floating heads. It's it's extremely, like, graphic design is my passion. Because, like, I feel like, especially with 90s slashers, it was just sort of, like, I, I think Scream did a thing with floating heads, and everybody else kind of went, all right, I guess that's what we're doing, is floating heads on a, in front of a stark black background. Now, one poster that fucks, mm-hmm. Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Farewell to the Flesh, I've got so much fondness for, because, like, it's way better than day of the dead and also because it's like trying to add something to the mythology where it's like and then what if also new orleans was a thing yeah and um also sci-fi channel every saturday from (laughs) approximately yeah 1998 to 2003 yeah that's exactly right there are so many uh, i feel like there's that and the relic i've seen the relic uh because of um basic cable so many fucking times uh, the relic rules hard too. Yeah, it does. Um, so, so tell me what you've been up to. I haven't heard from you in forever. I true. Well, so uh, uh, listeners will know that we've. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks because, um, as you know, as happens sometimes, life gets in the way, and and you got to do stuff like uh, scream into the void and uh, do various career things and um, mostly just Watch yell at Twitter. Watch Necromantic Two and not be able to Watch finish Necro- it. Watch Necromantic 2. Oh my god, can't wait to, I cannot wait to talk about this movie. Um, I, so, the thing that I've been doing, uh, the ghoul shit that I've been doing, um, Quincy, are you familiar with The Sinking City? No, what is The Sinking City? Oh man, okay, so, uh, The Sinking City, which is available on, uh, PS4 and Xbox One, I assume, and on Steam, uh, it's basically, so it was made by this company that made this really, really great Sherlock Holmes game where, like, you solve crimes and you correlate clues to come to different conclusions and you have to, like, recreate crime scenes by putting things in the right order. It's really, really fun. And then, so the same company was like, okay, what if we literally just did this, but Sherlock is getting yelled at by Cthulhu? And so you come to this uh, town called Oakmont, and it's basically, like, Schminsmith. You know, they've got, like, Schmiskatonic University. Um, and it's, this, this game is fucking incredible because, so it's, uh, a Lovecraft game, um, that is actually engaging with H.P. Lovecraft's racism. Oh, excellent. Where, yeah, like, and, and the, the start of the thing is like, you know, there is racism in this game and, uh, you know, like we're talking about this time period and for us to pretend that, you know, for us not to have that in here would feel weird because it would be like we were pretending that racism didn't exist. Um, in the time period, and so um, the, the 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 crux of the biscuit is that you get to shoot a clan member in the dick, and that's just deeply uh, important to me gameplay wise. It's really really great. Like it's this game. There like there are these mechanics where um, you it plays around with like your sanity bar, and you have to sort of leverage that against like it's it's a survival horror game that is not just a series of fetch quests, and yeah, also. Cool. 
it's full of all manner of body horror, so it's unbelievably fun. I'm having a fucking great time. So I've been reading this academic text called Marx in the Arcade, which looks at Marxist theory applied to the production and playing of video games. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And and the um, impetus for the book is I've never played an Assassin's Creed game, but apparently in one of the most recent Assassin's Creed games, you you help Marx start a workers' <laughs> revolt. <laughs> you really, Which yeah, that's Which is really right. fucking dumb, but also, of course you do. I mean, it's, I feel, yeah, that, that feels right, especially for Assassin's Creed. That game is, I feel like those games have politics, but if they do, I'm, it's a complete mystery to me, because it's like, no, that's the, the jumpy game where you hide in bushels and steal shit, right? So apparently there's this website, there's this group I found out about called Games for Change, and they're okay. a nonprofit, and they collect socially conscious video games, and they have a database. And I went to a conference, and someone was talking about how they're really great to teach kids about, like, ethics and, you know, mm -hmm. morals and stuff like that. And um, this colleague of mine uses this in... in a class mm -hmm. and he said but you have to be careful of students who want to like trot out well i know that in the new red dead redemption there's a scene with um suffragettes so i'm gonna write about that one but i haven't finished oh, yeah. the game yet and and you have to be like no because they die well how do you yeah. know because it's Red Dead Redemption and it's a female character, she will die in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly. Well, I mean, like the politics of video games. I I think the worst politics I've seen in a video game have to be Bioshock Infinite. Um, are you familiar with the uh, with Bioshock Infinite and no, why tell it is me bad? About it, well, because it's, I'm 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 woefully underread in video games. Oh yeah, I mean honestly, same. Like I'm about ten years behind everything, unless it's survival horror, and then I am insufferable. Um, I don't like survival horror very much, and I play it so much. And <laughs> I, it's I, I I'm I'm angry all the time because I'm like ah like why can't they have better mechanics and and mission objectives that aren't just a series of fetch quests? Like why can't it be better? And it's like I don't know. Are you gonna play the new Resident Evil? Yes. Shut up, um, Ryan. But, um, let me tell you about a wonderful survival horror game called uh, Friday the Thirteenth for uh, the Nintendo <laughs> Entertainment System. <laughs> That listen, that game is gritty as fuck. I don't know how anybody. An can actual that game. impossible to win game. I honestly, I just love that um, they ramp up the Jason Voorhees difficulty, where he just starts out fucking throwing hands, like you're just getting into a fist fight with Jason Voorhees in a cabin. <laughs> Which I love that so much because it's just like, hey, hey, fuck you. Like it's just, it's not even. I mean, there was that one scene in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan where the guy just spends a full minute punching Jason, and then he's like. All right, take your best shot, and then Jason just punches his hat off. Um, which that movie is very bad. I love that movie. It's my I also favorite. Love that movie. He kicks those punks jukebox. I love that so much of that movie. I feel like the the 1980s wanted to kiss the city of New York with tongue. Like it was yeah. in love yeah. with New York City and how nobody ever ever washed their hands in New York from the years of 1972 to 1988. But. Um, yeah, I honestly, so uh, Bioshock Infinite, the, the, the thing about it was that um, the, the point that it ultimately tried to make was like, mm, if you think about it, aren't people fighting back against oppression just as bad as the oppressors? Where there's like, uh, it's sort of like there's racism in the game and then 
the the evil white people like I don't know the 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 tables get flipped toward the end of the game, and then it's like oh no, what are we? What have we done? We're fighting back, but wrong, oh, and boy. it's um dicey. So let's talk about Necromantic too. Um, why? Uh-huh. Yeah, why is a great question. So, uh, <laughs> holy shit. So Necromantic 2, which is the sequel to Necromantic, which, uh, as uh, listeners uh, of the podcast will know, is the uh, Necrophilia movie? Where it's yeah, basically and, just like... and let's be fair. Cole Epics sent me this beautiful two-disc Necromantic, tri- Necromantic saga, the two-film uh, box set. It's got like this amazing bespoke slip cover art. Um, it's got crazy Blu-ray extras. It's got like three never-before-seen Jorg Butgerite short films, as if you finished watching Necromantic 1 and 2 and said, I've gotta have more! So, like, you've managed to cram uh, fish hooks into your eyes on two separate occasions, and then it's like, sort of, do you want some sunglasses? It's like, well, that's kind of fucking beside the point, because I've just put Necromantic 1 and 2 in my eyes, but sure, yeah, let's do a short film. This is the most beautiful Blu-ray that is legally required to be kept in a shoebox under my bed I've ever seen. (laughs) Like, I don't think I want to meet the person that has this prominently displayed in their collection, but it is very cool to have in my collection. You remember that dude years ago at that party that put on Tetsuo the Iron Man? Yeah, that guy also bought this. But here's the thing that saves Necromantic 2 from Necromantic 1 is mm-hmm. the direct the cast and crew commentary because your Jorg Butgerite is clearly just like a goof. He's taking it all oh, he's as great. a joke. Yeah. yeah. I mean and and you know what it is? I feel like the kind of person who's going to make a movie like Necromantic and then Necromantic 2 colon Return of the Loving Dead, it's going to be two kinds of a guy, right? It's either going to be um like the kind of guy you see in the front row at a black metal concert who it's very important to him that you see how grim he is. Or it's going to be your the director of Necromantic 2, who's just sort of like, I don't know why everybody was so upset about my little movie. I was just making a nice love movie, and everybody was getting so upset. Yeah, it's like, fuck right on off, dude. You know exactly what you've done. <laughs> it's great. And on, sorry, so the commentary, like, did did the commentary change your experience of this movie? The commentary made it watchable. <laughs> so by watching because I could not um, watch it without the commentary because uh, taking it as like because the film is shot and presented as serious to so yeah. to have the entire cast and crew laughing and doing yuckum ups made it tenable. Oh yeah, yeah. So so the movie. Uh, holy fuck! So it starts uh, the 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 at the top of the movie. It's got a card with a, a a quote from Theodore R. Bundy, which obviously fuck out of here. Come on, it's Todd Bundy. Um, and it's I don't know why they had to do the R like Theodore R. Bundy. Welcome to Masterpiece Theater, Theodore R. Bundy. And it's like, um, I don't know. It's a little highfalutin for me. Like, do we need to start this with the fucking Ted Bundy quote? Um, and so. Uh, the movie starts with the the protagonist from the previous movie. Now, uh, listeners to the podcast and probably um, the minority of our listeners who have seen the movie Necromantic willingly, um, they will know... Basically what Necromantic 2 does at the top of the movie is uh, previously on Necromantic, where it's just like... 
it shows the character from the previous movie stabbing himself while jerking off and coming blood and then dying. Um, and this actor, he was in Rambo 4? Right. He said, fuck you, Yorg. I'm not going to be in the sequel because I booked a job in Rambo 4. And they make fun of this poor motherfucker mercilessly on this Blu-ray. Oh, They're God just bless. like, oh, Mr. Hollywood is in Rambo 4. <laughs> Our Can't little reprise his on... role as a corpse to be fucked. <laughs> All Which he had to do he... was lay there, but no, he's got to be in Rambo 4. <laughs> it's an easy payday, you just have to pretend to be a corpse. Which, alright, so the movie starts with um, an unidentified woman. Oh, also the uh, guy uh, who uh, plays the corpse is on the commentary track. Oh shit, are you serious? Yeah, he's like, yep, that's my dick. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, the guy that they are roasting for being in Rambo 4 is on the commentary. No, no, I'm sorry. The guy that plays the corpse... Oh, okay. In Necromantic 2 is on the commentary. They could not... They they should be so lucky to book (laughs) Mr. Rambo 4. Yeah, what? You got Rambo 4 money? You can get that guy on the horn (laughs) to show up for Necromantic 2 Return of the Loving Dead? Um... Holy fuck! And so uh, obviously the the lady at uh, in, in from the previous movie um, leaves the main character for the corpse, and the guy dies while jerking off and coming blood. And so uh, a lady at the beginning of this like movie you uh, do. Digs, <laughs> like like you do. And so uh, the, the the main character of Necromantic Two uh, digs up his body and brings him home, and you know we get this sort of like and basically what most of this movie is. You remember um. Uh, back in ye olden days of 2007, when Two Girls, One Cup was still a thing that people would try to get you to watch? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, th- you know, the entire idea behind Two Girls, One Cup was like, what if horrifying things with soft uh, piano soundtrack in the background? That's most of Necromantic 2, is just like long shots of hands trailing down corpse bodies with like nice music playing in the background. This corpse's pubic hair is the wildest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it is. It's it like is one impressive. wisp, and I think it's because they painted this actor in grease paint. And right. also, hats off to this dude for letting them paint like in his penis. Like, Absol- yeah. If someone approaches you with grease paint and says, "Let me paint all of you," you should say, "No, that's not healthy for you." <laughs> But yeah, he was I don't like, sure, that. pull my foreskin back for cinema verite and paint it all <laughs> green. I'm fine with that. I've got to give the people what they want. They want evenly painted foreskins, and I just <laughs> have to commit to this part. Yeah, this is uh, I'm just uh, a little indie project. What title we could possibly name this episode? <laughs> Holy, f- it's gonna be. It's you know what it's gonna be. It's just gonna be like the one with the uh, the one with the corpse. Like that's just. It's gonna. There's everything we're saying about this movie gets increasingly upsetting. Um, but so the yeah, so the corpse in this movie, um, when they when they when she digs him up, he is still wearing the outfit he was wearing when he died while coming blood. Yeah, because that, that's uh, totally how anyone buries their loved one. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? Maybe his family was just fucking ashamed of him, and they were just like, oh, just tip him into the coffin. Just go. Just go. Like, he's his shirt is still splattered with blood. He looks like, when she pulls him out of that box, he looks like a grape jelly uh, PB&J sandwich um, at the bottom of a backpack, just like 
these great gouts of blood. And so, yeah, so, and the movie is sort of, that immediately tells me, okay, hello, hi, it's me, your friend, Yorg, welcome to Necromantic 2. She's gonna fuck a corpse. And, and she, so she tries to, uh, fuck this corpse, but it doesn't really work out. Like, she gets kind of grossed out because she's fucking a corpse. And so she runs and, like, throws up in the bathroom, and she's like, okay, I'll work up to it. So, I'm sorry, I've... Today I fell down a Wikipedia hole on Terrer, the Frenchman who was a sideshow performer that ate cats and other animals. And I'm sorry, ate cats? Yeah, Terrer. Like, so Terrer like, was this guy that lived around the 1780s, 1790s, and he was a like traveling musician that would swallow like non-foods and live animals for like oh. a street performance. So wait, so he was just eat, what, he was eating whole cats? Yeah, like actually ate cats. So like he had some sort of they don't really know why, but he was had like an uncontrollable um, hunger. He had polyphagia. So like oh. he was known to try to drink people's blood in the hospital because like they were treating him and he'd like steal people's trash and eat it and they think he might have eaten a baby oh shit i remember this i saw this there was a tumblr post about this about the guy like he might have eaten a baby might have eaten a baby oh and apparently other people in france around the same time were also known to have polyphagia and have eaten corpses, which I bring up only because the next scene of this movie is the girl from the first movie going, damn it, someone stole my boyfriend's corpse. Yeah, yeah, she, she like, throws her newsy cap down in disgust, because she was, like, she comes back to this great, because apparently there's just a fucking dick drought in Germany during this period, where, like, there's just apparently, you know, and, and you know, obviously this is pre-Tinder, so, you know, there's only there's only so many dicks to go around. Um, the girlfriend from the previous movie is like, all right, gonna dig up my og, oh, come on! And, like, somebody already stole the body, so she just, she's very upset. And then she never, we never come back to her, really. Yeah, is York trying to say that, like, no one in Berlin is fuckable, or, like... What is he trying to do besides say, look how gross I can be? I mean, and that's the question, right? Like, I feel like now, now coming from an academic place, I feel like we want to do this thing where we could navel gaze this into a 20 page essay where we talk about, you know, uh, the, the semiotics of Necromantic 2, Return of the Loving Dead, that actually it's about Jungian archetypes or actually there's something deeper going on here. No, it's about fucking a corpse and it's about being as upsetting as possible. It's just morally reprehensible because, the, and the joke is on us for for buying it in a. I mean, and that's lovely well, two that's, disc, <laughs> Blu-ray <laughs> slipcase edition. Well, and this is this is going to be a silly question. You watched this by yourself, right? Oh, absolutely. I was <laughs> yeah, like middle school me. You know listened one hand on the stop of my tape recorder listening to Eminem tapes and I heard my mom <laughs> pull in the driveway. I was just like sweating bullets, finger oh, yeah. on the stop button, ready to eject this thing and throw it back where it be- belongs. I think my favorite part of this movie, though, is the um, part where the 
Corpse Fucker's boyfriend, his day job is dubbing pornography. Oh, he's great. So, all right, so his name is Rob, and uh, he... This is kind of what tells me that um, Necromantic 2 is sort of wink, nod, yes, we're being... Aren't we being funny? Um, his job is that he is... Uh, he does overdubs for porno movies. So basically it's him and uh, a, a, a lady coworker who they're both very friendly, sort of, hey, how's it going? Like, you know, it's just like another day at the office sort of thing. Another day going down to the porno mines with a shovel over my shoulder and a hard hat. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get cum lung probably before too long working in these mines, um, and you know like they're basically what they do is they just sort of do the the oohs and the ahs for for porno movies and into a microphone and it's obviously it's great because it's the least sexual thing in the world is the production of these porn soundtracks. I mean, yeah, this is the most sexual, least sexy movie I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And so, you know, he's, you can tell that he's kind of dealing with some shit or like, you know, like what, is sex actually good anymore? Or do I actually care about it anymore? Is this job sucking the life out of me? Because I mean, now here's the thing. It makes sense Which, to like, me. Which big mood, right? Is this job oh, sucking sure. the life out of me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if for him, you know, he's looking at the prospect of fucking in any kind of relationship as like, it's like when you work at like Starbucks or something and you, you sort of go home going like, if I see one more fucking cup of coffee, I'm going to pull my eyes out. And, like, maybe you're, like, if I hear one more person say, oh, yes, fuck me, like, I'm going to actually kill myself. Like, it's the worst thing in the world. So, is Necromantic 2 better than Necromantic 1? Now, okay, so the question... All right, so allow me, res, allow me to respond to your question with a corpse penis. Which of these <laughs> movies has more... Which of them is more genuinely transgressive? Like, which of them... Because now... And this is the life we've chosen for ourselves, Quincy, is that we've now seen Necromantic 1 and 2. Previously, I thought that you'd said that it was a trilogy, and I almost had a goddamn heart attack. Oh, they, they've talked about how... They're seeking funding. They said, if someone will pay for it, we'll make it. No! No! Oh, no, yeah, you that's stop another that. gem from this commentary. They're like, listen, man, if you'll pay for it, we'll do it. You stop that. They're making I... necromantic puzzles. Oh, my God. Jigsaw Why? puzzles, Ryan. Well, thank God for that. Now, there's... I will say, I think Necromantic 2 is higher for me than Necromantic 1 because there is a scene where... So Rob uh, starts dating um, the lady who dug up the corpse and tried to fuck it and was sort of like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll work up to that. Um, and, you know, she's in a relationship with him and she's sort of like, ooh, I don't know, I really like this guy and it's going really great, so I guess I'll try to curb my necrophiliac impulses and try to, you know, have a, have a go of just being like a, like a regular Joe, a regular kind of guy. Um, and so she, the actor's name is Monica M and her character is Monica. <laughs> oh, and, and Mark is actually named Mark reader because they're like, Beautiful. you know what? We're not going to write a script to this. We're going to just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because fuck, it's, it's, necro it's necromantic too. Um, but so there's, there's a scene in here that kills me, which is that. So she um, decides to, you know, put away dead things. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to be in a relationship with this guy. Uh, and she chops up the body, but keeps the head and the corpse wiener. And she naturally... Now, Quincy, 
you are now the proud owner of a newly severed corpse wiener. Where are you storing this? Um, I mean, clearly it goes into Tupperware. Yeah, yeah, you're putting it in Tupperware. You're burping that Tupperware, you're tucking it back in there, you're saving it for a rainy day. And so she um, puts it on a, like, a, like a little plate and puts it in the fridge, and there's a shot in here that kills me, which is Rob the porno actor. Like, he's just spent the night, and then he sort of, you know, he's rooting around in the fridge for breakfast, and then just he's a corpse penis on a plate, and he's like... Wait a minute! What? What? This is a corpse penis. <laughs> come and on, it's, really? Oh, come on! Um, and it's it's so fucking funny. Um, now honestly, I do have to say, Necromantic Two, the effects, pretty good. Very good. Like it's it is it is it is a it is a wet movie. It is a uh, it is a vascular and gross movie, and it's kind of. I'm impressed by the prosthetics, I think, because it would have been, because it's anything after, yes, this is the sequel to the movie about fucking corpses, any any actual effort that gets put into it on any vector other than gross out is just like extra, is, that's, that's above and beyond to me if you tried to do a good job with that. Yeah. And, and I also, there's a scene where she washes the corpse, because, you know, you can't get a corpse out of an open grave and just have sex with it. You, you're, that's disgusting. You have to be clean about it. You, all right, but that, there's like that a moment... weird tenderness to that that's like really affecting. Yeah. Actually, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a tenderness in there, although I, I think the, the, the thing for me with like, listen, I'm, of course I'll fuck a corpse, but like you've got you've to gotta wash it first, you know. Um, that just reminded me immediately of, um, did you see Midsummer? No, I haven't seen it yet. Um, there's, there's a line that kills me from, from Midsummer where, um, like obviously the, the villagers in this little Swedish village are, you know, in a, in a death cult, but there's one bit where they're like, you know, like, oh, listen, we just need to drive back to town. And they're like, well, you know, we can't do that because there's not enough room. It's like, it's fine. I'll just ride in the back. And they're like, well, we obey traffic laws. So <laughs> it's like, look, of course this person is going to fuck a corpse, but they're not going to be unsanitary about it. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not animals here. So Ryan, um, if, but uh, yeah, I yeah. If Necromantic 2 is better than Necromantic 1, is Necromantic 2 better or worse than Spooky Buddies? Yeah, are you there? Yeah. Okay, Sorry, I just thought um, that, that you... So I said... Um, did you hear what I said? No, no, it, it uh, cut out. Okay, that's perfect. So I said, <laughs> is Necromantic 2 better than Spooky Buddies? And the call cut out because i thought you hung up on me <laughs> i'm done Fuck. i kind of want to keep that in actually where it's like yeah I think... you know what is necromantic 2 better than spooky buddies click <laughs> dial tone and just no you know what i i'm not i'm not doing this tonight I'm, i can't i can't answer that question but i will answer that question and you know what it is spooky okay spooky buddies is better than necromantic 2 because I feel like it exceeds the premise in a way that Necromantic 2 doesn't. Because Spooky Buddies, this is a this is an off 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 brand Airbud sequel. Like it, this is sort of it's there have been so many. It's like it's not Disney Channel original movie. It's like Disney direct to video. Yeah, but but like tax shelters so that we could later play <laughs> it on Disney Channel. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This is a tax shelter movie. Honestly, what it is, um, 
Necromantic 2, I feel like it's, I, oh, Jesus, this is, this is, um, the life I lead now. Uh, I think it's a relatively paint-by-numbers necrophilia movie. <laughs> I just feel like it's very sort of, all right, you've got that shot, you've got the, the bit where you try to fuck the corpse and you can't do it, you've got the nausea, you've got, you know. And then with Spooky Buddies, I was consistently shocked by that movie in a way that I was not shocked by Necromantic 2. Because Spooky Buddies, it starts... And maybe it's just because of my, like, what I'm expecting going in, you know? Like, maybe because um, knowing that this is Necromantic 2, I was sort of like, oh boy, I don't know what I'm in for here. But with Spooky Buddies, I was like, oh, I'm sure it'll be nice. And then we're starting out with sacrificing five puppy souls to dog Satan. Yeah. So I feel like Spooky Buddies uh, sort of does more, I think, than than Necromantic. All right, here's, here's my question. Which is better? Castle Freak... Or Necromantic 2, Return of the Loving Dead? Um, Castle Freak, because Barbara Crampton, Crampton and... Um, um, blanking out, because... Mike, Jeffrey Combs? Jeffrey Combs. Uh, Castle Freak, because it stars Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. And they I, also... Jeffrey Combs fucks that um, <laughs> prostitute, and then, gets ripped, and then she gets ripped apart by the Castle Freak. <laughs> Right. So, honestly, the fact that everybody in Castle Freak commits to that movie so much, I think, for me, puts puts uh, Castle Freak above um, Necromantic. Now, actually, all right, so we're, we're scrolling down. Uh, all right, all right, Quincy, Quincy. Faces of Death or Necromantic 2, Return of the Loving Dead? Okay, here's what's wild. I love Faces of Death. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. Like it's 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 a cultural fucking icon. I feel like. Yeah. So like, Faces of Death is way better than Necromantic Two, and also Faces of Death has a sincerity that Necromantic Two is, and and this is mostly from from listening to the commentary. It's just so steeped in irony. It's almost like poison. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is there's no there's no love that goes into that. Like you're not. You know, like, this wasn't a, a movie about necrophilia that the director sincerely was trying to do. This was yeah, like... Yeah, it was a cash eh. grab sequel. <laughs> you sold out, you know? Like, you just you just made the easy paint-by-numbers necrophilia sequel. And, you know, it used, to be about the, it used to be about the art, and now it's just about crassly cashing in on necrophilia. Okay, so speaking of movies about the art, what is a better film, um... Son of Dracula starring Ringo Starr <laughs> or Necromantic 2? <laughs> um, holy fuck. So, Son of Dracula... Alright, so what we have are two uh, cultural curios, right? We have the movie that was not supposed to have been released that was a vanity project featuring Harry Nilsson and Ringo Starr. Uh, versus the sequel to the Necrophilia movie that got banned in, like, every country. Yeah. And also got banned in every country. <laughs> All right, so Son of Dracula is number 450. I think it's still illegal in Great Britain. Like, I think it never got removed from the video nasty list. It's, like, on the book still. You know what, though? I feel like Necromantic 2 being banned in Britain, I feel like it's almost not even, like, if you ask somebody, like, wait a minute... Is this because of the graphic uh, violence and and sexual content? Like, no, it's just fucking tacky. We don't want that. <laughs> we don't we don't want fucking Necromantic two here. Um, so, Son of Dracula is at number four fifteen. I feel like 
Uh, I want to give the edge to Son of Dracula entirely <laughs> because it's so utterly inscrutable to me. Like, I love... I've got such a soft spot for vanity projects from rock stars with too much money and uh, access to a film crew. Like, I love seeing what movie famous people will make if they have total freedom to make the kind of movie they want to make, which is Son of Dracula, and it is basically unwatchable, and I'm really into it, versus Necromantic 2. I mean, you can't exactly put that on at a party, you know? Yeah. Now, I will say that Necromantic 2 does well in terms of, like, plot structure like it, it it is followable it's followable in a way that like a movie like the nun is just random shit thrown together in a way that does not make a, a plot that makes sense oh completely agree actually between the nun from last year 2018 and necromantic 2 necromantic 2 because at least you know what you made a not only did you make the movie necromantic you did a sequel you built on the necromantic cinematic universe and had the gumption to do that. And I feel like The Nun just... Ugh, that movie... I, I remember nothing about it because it was so fucking insubstantial and forgettable. Now, which movie builds on its internal universe better? The necromantic universe or uh, Shane Black's The Predator and The Predator universe? <sighs> Quincy, it grieves me to say this. I think The Predator is probably a better movie. The Predator, with its unkind portrayal of um, neurodifference, is yeah, better yeah, than we're... the corpse fucking sequel. God, we are we are just chewing on bones in hell, huh? Like this is <laughs> which which is worse, the sequel to the necrophilia movie or the movie that's shitty and gross about autism <laughs> and post traumatic stress. Also post-traumatic, yeah, I, it's, oh boy, I'll tell you, all right, here's, here's what it is. I don't know why this is the vector on which I'm judging it, but I feel like The Predator had better practical effects than Necromantic 2, and, like, there were sequences in it where I could kind of, now, Necromantic 2, I feel like, you know, right, right from the start, you're sort of like, I know that there is no hope for this movie or for my immortal soul for watching it, like, I, I know basically where I'm starting, but with Predator... There were so many moments in that movie where you can kind of see how, with some very fucking important tweaks, this could be a good movie. Right. And and there's no pretense with Necromantic 2 that you're watching a good movie. No, no, at any point. And, and I, the director on the commentary is like, eh, you're watching Necromantic 2. That's yeah, so he's like, I gotcha. And then, like, I'm trying to think of, like, do you have a good time, like, you don't have a good time watching it. No, no, it's, it's not. It's, it's not a not, fun time. No, it's it, just. It's not even. Now, all right. This is my question: Are we just kind of burnt out and desensitized that, like, watching this? I wasn't at any point like sick to my stomach or unha like just sort of like grossed out. I was mostly just like, ah, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> like, just, yeah, it's really just. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so. <laughs> I feel like that could be our world. That could be our tagline for this podcast. I'm so tired. Like, <laughs> but I, I, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. There were so many points during the first two acts, if you can call them acts of Necromantic 2, that I was like, can we get a fucking move on and get, get to the corpse fucking? Like, we are doing so many montages of, like, going on dates and, like, oh, I'm going to 
touch a corpse, and I'm just like, look, wait, you're obviously padding for time. Please get to the part, like parts that are going to upset me, so I can, so we can all go home. I need to point out that Necromantic Two is at number four twenty on our list. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> blaze it! All right, so yeah, so coming in at our new number four twenty, below the Predator and above the Nun, is Necromantic Two: colon, Return of the Loving Dead. And once again, guys, thank you so much for sending those those Blu-rays. Yes, thank you. So let's talk about um, <laughs> gargoyles. So gar so gargoyles. All so right, Disney so... Plus is out, and um, I yeah. am a, a weak man, <laughs> and instantly <laughs> subscribed for an entire year. Listen to me. Listen, I, uh, I I have Amazon Prime. I feel like you know that thing of how there's like no ethical consumption under, under late capitalism. Like, I could clown you for having Disney+, Plus, but I have so many streaming services linked to companies that are probably, like, responsible for, like, Chilean death squads or something. Yeah. Like, Disney+, Plus. listen, you've got access to fucking gargoyles, and isn't that enough? Gargoyles and Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. Oh, shit. And The All Great right. Mouse Detective. This is... See, now, I... Ooh, I'm gonna be... My, my, that's that's my problem is like you can look at a thing like Disney slash Fox slash Marvel slash Lucasfilm and sort of just be like it's probably very very bad for everything to basically be owned by the same company but then also you're like mm, but I like those movies though yeah yeah and Turner and Hooch is on Disney Plus because they oh, own fuck. Fox so I'm like sweet <laughs> Wait, do they have do they have Alien on Disney Plus? No, no. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna Alien. say, well, I was like, wait, does that make the Xenomorph Queen a Disney princess? If it Fox is? does, but yeah. she's not been added yet. I'm sure there will be like, you know how there was Disney After Dark and like, mm -hmm. you know, Fantasy Island. I'm sure Disney <laughs> Plus in like two more years will release like a. Fantasy Island, kind of. D Disney After Dark, yeah. Which yeah. also, um, having been to Disneyland, it is so hard to find a drink at Disneyland. Like, apparently, there are these little uh, parts of the park tucked into it where you can sort of go and get a drink. But that almost feels more perverse to me, like sneaking a clandestine cocktail at Disneyland than just, like, going to a bar. That's wild, because... So this is how much I didn't know I was a Disney adult until all mm -hmm. of a sudden I looked up and I was a Disney adult. <laughs> um, and and yeah, I don't know. You're dazed, covered is, in merch. Is it something that we need to define? Do do our listeners know? Like when I say Disney adult, I mean like grown man who actively enjoys Mickey Mouse and like talks about it constantly. I mean, that's also the thing is that it's it's a shorthand for like cultural cultural touchstones. Now, here's here's what it also is. Um, a lot of the circles that I run in, um, I, I feel like I I know a lot of Disney adults, and especially Disney gays. Now, Disney gays are a very specific cross section of people, who because you know due to homophobia or having shitty families didn't really get to have a childhood. And so as adults, like, you you know when you love a monolithic megacorporation that doesn't always love you back? Oh, yeah. 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 
Um, now, all right, so, but Gargoyles, this is, holy shit. So Gargoyles was Gargoyles from 19- Gargoyles is crazy, like, progressive, too. It's so, it's so good. It is, all right, so Gargoyles was from uh, 1994 to 1996, I want to say. Yeah, and then there um, was a second version in the 2000s called the uh, Goliath Chronicles. Yeah, and so... Um, Which I've uh, never so seen, Gargoyles... but I desperately hope is just Goliath as a detective. Oh my god. Detective Goliath? Like, it's him and Elisa going on buddy cop adventures? Yeah. Oh my god. And it's like, he's got like a trench coat and a hat, and he's just like, yeah, it's me, I'm Gary Lyeth. <laughs> and he's just got a, like, so what? It's it's fine. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm a, I'm a guy who does stuff, and he's... Yeah, um, so basically, so uh, Gargoyles was a uh, TV series that, um, I mean, I, I grew up on. Like, I was obsessed with Gargoyles when Me I was Me too, I had the, and it's yeah. weird that until today, re-watching this, it's like it all, the tumblers clicked back t- into place, because, like, I had forgotten mm-hmm. that I had an entire line of the action figures growing up until watching yep. it and going, oh, I did have all of those because i was like yeah. i didn't have many i only had one or two or five or eight <laughs> or oh yeah, yeah i had multiple goliaths they made a goliath that broke out of stone so like he had little Yo! plastic stone that clipped on him and then you squeezed him and he went and popped all the like rock off of him outstanding um and uh, yeah i mean like it was very sort of merch ready but for me it was like a gr- because I what apparently this was meant to go head to head with Batman the animated series in the nineties. Yes, because that um, was the juggernaut cartoon in the nineties. Disney yeah. was like, we need a grim dark syndicated show. Yeah, and apparently when they were when they were starting out, uh, uh, the idea that Disney had for a series called Gargoyles, um, I feel like they eventually later used that concept in the movie Hunchback of Notre Dame with those gargoyles. Yes. Um, but the the idea was basically like initially was what if there were a bunch of gargoyles that were just a bunch of bunch of bunch of pranksters, bunch of goofsters, like causing all manner of mayhem and mischief for the townsfolk of medieval wherever the fuck, and then you know they get trapped in stone and then brought back in the modern day to continue putting whoopee cushions under people, whatever. And then they 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 scrapped that idea and were like, hmm. What if we did it where Lord Byron wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? <laughs> where you've got the April O'Neil character, you've got like the guy who does machines, but also like this there is an alright, I, I this is gonna be a weird thing to say, but I'm just gonna roll with it. There is an ambient horniness to gargoyles that I do not know how to explain. Yeah, so um friend of the show, Benito Serino, was on Twitter and hey, he was he was talking about how um he doesn't want to contract late adult furryism by watching Gargoyles for the first time. <laughs> but I think that, I mean, I think that, uh, I, mean, I think something awoke in me today <laughs> that I was I unaware mean, was incubating for 30 years. Listen to me. If you grew up watching the Robin, the, the Disney Robin Hood you already, you're a sleeper cell. Oh, friend. listen, you... you better believe my profile icon immediately when when we were setting it up. And we said, what do you want your profile to be? And I said, fuck you, Robin Hood. Yeah, Robin Hood. Obviously the hot Errol Flynn-ass anthropomorphic fox from Robin Hood that 
we all imprinted on as children. It's like, <laughs> I, it's, yeah, I love, which I love what a universal experience that is that we, we all just, yeah, Robin Hood. But that so, uh, made Marion also attractive because oh, oh, also yeah. a fox. A also a fox, fox. Yeah. a literal actual <laughs> fox. So at at the, at the top of gargoyles, it uh, flashes back to like nine uh, hundred something A.D., where it's like sort of feudal Scotland, and um, what should greet us but the dulcet voice of Clancy Brown? Oh my God, I was so happy to hear Clancy Brown in this show. Oh man, it's just like a breath of spring. Like you just hear him, like, oh yeah, that's me, Clancy Brown. You're just like. I don't know. I, my soul left my body. I immediately Googled Clancy Brown gargoyles and was just so smug that, like, I would know that voice anywhere. Speaking um, of knowing voices anywhere, Frank Welker, the, like, best voice actor since Mel Blanc, uh, yeah. is a in this... A titan of voice acting? A titan. Uh, and I, I am proud to say I've watched so many cartoons that I can pick out Frank Welker's crowd voices when he's oh, wow. like oh no look out i gotta be it's like oh yeah that's frank welker <laughs> yeah you, you know that you know the welker house style you hear that and you're the like welker house style about. the chittering monkeys and <laughs> random crowd members <laughs> of frank welker yeah and uh, so frank welker voices uh, bronx who is like a gargoyle dog now funny story here when i was a a, a little kid we were on a church trip in michigan um, and, uh, my brother and I went and, uh, hung out next, uh, at this creek next to the church, and I found a little snapping turtle at this creek and was like, oh boy, I've got a pet now! And so I just sort of, like, scooped up this turtle and decided that his name was Bronx, because of Bronx from Gargoyles, and then the thing bit through my finger, and my mom was like, yeah, no, you, you can't have that, put that down, you're bleeding. Um, Ryan, and so the, the emotional yeah. journey of the most pure story to the most <laughs> horrifying story was a true roller coaster. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm here to give you brutal truths about the world. Like, a turtle you named after a gargoyle will break your heart and bite through your finger. So um, let's talk about how heartbreaking this show is. So the gargoyles, oh first of all, the gargoyles are indigenous to the cliffs of Scotland. So they yeah. built a castle, and the gargoyles said, this is where we live, so you can build the castle around us, but we're going to stay here. And then the Scottish yeah. people were like, all right, that works. <laughs> Yeah, and they're basically, like, so uh, there's this thing, uh, Wyvern Castle, and the gargoyles basically function as, like, a sort of analog security system, where they're like, you know what, we're just gonna hang out during the day and be rock, and then at nighttime, we're gonna fuck shit up if anybody tries attacking the castle, and so we get this sort of opening scene of, like, uh, a bunch of, like, Vikings, uh, including Clancy Brown, who plays a character named Haken, uh, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna take the castle, and the gargoyles are like, yo, we fly and we'll kill all of you, and then they, and then they do, um... And then uh, a bunch of mishaps happen, and they all get frozen in rock and are brought back in the present day by, um, Quincy, are you familiar with the trope of the Xanatos gambit? His name is Xanatos. <laughs> yes, and he's apparently the, the trope namer. Now, there's a, there's a trope called the Xanatos gambit, which is when there is a plan in a, in a movie or a TV show or whatever that is so convoluted that, like, Ah, yes, uh, I, I see that you foiled my plan by killing my goon, but I knew that you would do that, so I planted a thing in another, in a, in another person's head that I knew would go off at the exact moment that you were jumping out the window. And so the Xanatos Gambit is, 
like, you could not orchestrate that on purpose, but it's them going, hmm, didn't I? Um, and Xanatos, David Xanatos is voiced by Jonathan motherfucking Frakes. Yeah, a lot of people from Star Trek um, oh, man. are in this show. It is, it is a Star Trek uh, reunion where we've got Marina Sirtis as uh, Demona. You've got Brent Spiner as Puck. You've got LeVar Burton's in the mix. Apparently, um, the makers of Gargoyles were asking Jonathan Frakes, like, can, can, could you do it where you put in a good word with Patrick Stewart and maybe got him on it? And they were like, I would feel weird about doing that. And they're like, okay, never mind. Yeah, uh, uh, um, of course, of course, that's a weird thing. Uh, of, of, of course, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, but so you've got, you know, these lovable gargoyles. You've got uh, Brooklyn, who's basically, he's like Raphael, basically. like He's like, he's, he's a cool but rude guy. Um, you've got Lexington, who sort of looks like a cross between a goblin and a sugar glider. Yeah. Uh, and he kind of talks like this, and he's got the really scratchy, you know, he's great. He does machines. And except then you've he's got... also, in, in ancient Scotland, he's supposed to be like the lovable nice guy, except uh-huh. in the flashbacks to Scotland, someone fucks with him, he's like, oh, we'll eat your face off, and then his it's eyes great. go like all shiny. Well, because there's sort of gargoyle racism uh, back in the day, where it's basically like, you know, like, these, these, these Scottish fucks, like... The gargoyles have been protecting your castle. Like, they're the reason you are still alive right now, and you're like, meh, I don't like them because they are they look like that. And so they're, like, super mean to them. So Lexington's like, guess we'll kill your family. <laughs> He's just, like, ready to to yell at these, these townsfolk. Um, and so then there's Broadway, who is the fat gargoyle. That's his thing, is that he's the fat gargoyle. And boy, do, do they really lean heavily into that. <laughs> the fact that when they're... So they come to the present day, none of them have names except for Goliath. And they're all trying to figure out, like, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, Brooklyn. And then Broadway gestures to his proud tum while saying, Broadway. <laughs> um, Broadway is a perfect baby angel and has never done anything wrong in his life. Quincy, do you know what I remember um, from Gargoyles as a child? Um, in, I think, the second season or something, there's an episode where it, like, is a flash-forward to a crapsack future where everything went wrong, and half of them are dead, and they're all trying to, like, you know, set things to rights or get back to the right timeline. As a child, the one thing I remembered really, really well from Gargoyles was, uh, Broadway is blinded in the future, and then at one point in the crapsack future, he's dying in Goliath's arms, and then weeping and smiling and saying, I can see the sunrise. It's so beautiful. And then dies. Man, this show. Um, <laughs> holy fuck. Yeah, this is... Also, all of the... It's a lot. Also, um, when they are in ancient Scotland, um, the there's a gargoyle genocide where every other gargoyle is smashed by the Vikings, except for yeah. the, the titular gargoyles. <laughs> and the, the in, the, yeah. in this pilot that we we watched for today, Goliath screams at the sky for being the last of his kind like five times. I think Goliath's love language is screaming <laughs> at the sky, like at just at the drop of a hat. Goes through the drive-thru at McDonald's, like, yes, can I have a Diet Coke? Uh, I'm sorry, all we've got is Diet Pepsi. No. It's just him, just and also he's voiced by the incomparable Keith David. Yeah. Um, who, who again? He, he. I feel like 
You know what it was in the 90s was Keith David and Tim Curry were holding it the fuck down on children's cartoons. For sure. Like, they were they were out here. Um, and they so, just had a little yeah, go- futon in the, in the uh, <laughs> room next to the recording studio. It's yeah, it's amazing. And so they they uh basically the the gargoyles get uh encased for like a thousand years in rock and then the the idea is that like you know, you won't turn back into uh creepsters until Wyvern Castle rises above the clouds. And so uh an untrustworthy Elon Musk ass uh sort of mega rich guy um named David Xanatos uh sort of airlifts Wyvern Castle up onto the top of a skyscraper so that it's above the clouds. And what's amazing is that, so Goliath and the rest of the gargoyles were betrayed by the one human they trusted, and that's why they got frozen in rock. So Jonathan Frakes as uh, Xanatos is probably, like, he's like Ric Flair on a tag team levels of untrustworthy. (laughs) Yeah, he's the worst. And my favorite thing about um, Xanatos is he's so obsessed with gargoyles that even though he's like a gajillionaire and has all this technology, mm-hmm. all he wants right. to do is make robot gargoyles. And you're like, stop trying to make robot gargoyles happen, Xanatos. <laughs> it's not going to work. Well, and it's great because, you know, so much of now, and it's also, there's so much fucking pathos in that pilot episode, like where it's the gargoyles are sort of learning how to trust people and learning, like, listen, you can't go through the rest of your life never trusting anyone. That's no way to be. And so basically what it is is that, like, Xanatos, who has... He's sort of modeled to look like Jonathan Frakes, but smarmier, and he's got a big old ponytail. And basically what happens is that Goliath goes, like, all right, I'll hang out with you, but you better not betray me. And Xanatos is like, don't worry, I won't. And then, shockingly, he betrays him, and then he's like, actually, my plan is to kill you with robot gargoyles! And, um, it, it's not a great plan, is what if robot gargoyles? But, I tell you what, standards and practices in the 90s were like, yes, you can have these gargoyles that could rip man limb from limb. All of that must be off camera. However, you may rip (laughs) robots apart as much as you would like. Yes. Now, and I had to look this up because, so the the April O'Neil character, um, uh, Elisa Maza. um, Detective Maza. Yeah, Detective, I I beg your pardon, her Christian name, Detective Elisa Maza. um, And she is the one who sort of becomes aware of the gargoyles and befriends them and helps them out. And um, I'm just, I'm I'm just going to throw this out there. Immediately upon seeing the first interaction between Goliath and Elisa, I looked up on Archive of Our Own, uh, Goliath, Elisa, 70 total works. <laughs> 70 horny as hell works about Goliath it, and Elisa. You know who became a nascent fucking furry was Elisa Maza <laughs> on this show. We're later on, like, there's one bit where he's just, like, car- like he's, like, carrying her bridal style for most of that pilot when they're in the same scene together. And it's, yeah, I feel like as, as a viewer, you're given these romantic beats between the two of them, and you're sort of like, the, I, I, am, I am eight years old, and it is 1994, and I'm, there are fuck fumes between the human and the monster? We had, there was no chance for our generation with not becoming monster fuckers. Yeah, yeah, it, it was Just all zero. Bad. I also like that, like, there's so many, there's so much, I mean, it's monster diversity, but there's so much diversity in it. Oh, yeah. 
and you know, no, yeah. it's it's really cool. The other thing that is um, absolutely great is that the gargoyles have big leathery wings, so they turn mm-hmm. them into capes by using the little thumb, like the little opposable oh, the little, claws, the little boys. to like yeah. clasp their hands together. <laughs> So it looks like a cloak. Like, they get to just look fucking noble and cool. Which, yet and, again, they, oh, is, man. oh, Batman, we've got to make this b- bigger than Batman. Which oh, for for sure. Yeah. Um, but Batman. honestly, like, the animation in Gargoyles is fucking outstanding. Yeah, that's another like, thing that a bunch of people on the Rankin-Vile Discord were talking about, like, oh, the animation isn't as good because it was cheap television and it's not in HD. It looks pretty good, and the character design is just so good that any flaws in transfer are just charming as hell. Yeah, and maybe it's just that I've seen so many bad, bad, bad cartoons from the 90s that weren't even trying. Like, the the X-Men, the animated series uh, animation is dog shit. Listen, they ran out of money so that halfway through (laughs) everyone is wearing ponytails because they ran out of money to animate hair movement. (laughs) God bless. But yeah, like, there's so many shows that, like, you you look at the animation and you're like, and maybe... It's like Poochie, I've got to go back to my own planet now. And you see (laughs) the fingers dragging the cell across the... (laughs) Camera. Yeah, and and who knows? Maybe we'll get to like season two of Gargoyles, and they'll be doing Poochie animation with the Gargoyles. <laughs> but that pilot, holy fuck! It uh, if you can get a copy of Gargoyles or find some way to watch it. Also, that theme tune has been stuck in my head for two days. Also, also, um, if you recall, this pilot was originally released as a VHS tape that was a VHS board game as well. So if you are a flea market tape head, uh, keep on the lookout for that. Um, I do believe the DVD that is a bonus feature is the game. They don't give you the pieces to the game, but you can watch (laughs) the game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I remember the oh. the absolute emotional blow of my life was renting you know? the Gargoyles tape from Blockbuster, and the mm-hmm. game board was not included with the cassette because it was a piece of paper that was probably thrown away when the employees were like but, shelving the movie. So I just watched that. Yeah, so I watched that board game not knowing how to play or what to do and hoping it would come to me and then see i i would do the same thing with a promotional brochure video for disneyland when i was a kid because we had a tape of it and my brother and i would just like watch it over and over again and be like oh man that would be so cool if we could go to disneyland um and this is that but with with gargoyles all right so all right so looking at the list scrolling the fuck up. So we're doing um, the the um, what, what's the name of Awakening parts Awakening. one through five. So it, yeah, it's just Awakening. Now the the tape is mentioned something else, but the tape is actually an edited down version of that. Is this okay. pilot of Gargoyles better than that season of Castlevania? <sighs> I'm gonna say no. I think that season of Castlevania is better. Why? Um, because I. Th- well, you know what? Actually, I just talked out of my ass saying, yeah, I think it's better. I was going to say, yeah, I think Castlevania is better because there's a stronger authorial voice because of Warren Ellis. Like, I feel like it has more of a cohesive um, 
overall voice. I don't actually think that's true. I think Gargoyles, like this pilot, is perfect for what it is. Now, here's the problem with that. Venom mm-hmm. is number 196, uh, so that would okay. put Gargoyles above Venom. And that just will not do. So we're scrolling down. Although, although, all right, actually, I feel really good about... So just below Venom at number 197 is Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. Um, I feel like this pilot for Gargoyles is better than Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, for for certain. Like, and I love that stupid movie, but I this was, honestly, uh, you know that feeling of when you're holding a baby and you just, like, inhale their, like, the baby smell from their skull, and it's just, like, it sustains you as, like, an old ghoul where you're just, like, you know, feeding off of uh, the, the, the youthful skull nutrients? Yeah, yeah. That's how I felt watching Gargoyles and remembering, like, oh, man, like, watching this as a kid, I had the fucking Sega Genesis game, and... It, there's such a joy when you watch a thing from your childhood that still holds up as an adult. Yeah. Um, good news, the animated Mighty Ducks, which is about alien ducks that shoot exploding hockey pucks out of their blasters, is also on with, Disney+. Plus. With duck-shaped hockey masks, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I had I had those fucking action figures, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Wasn't yeah, there? I mean, we had no hope because all of these shows were clearly made for their toyetic right and which yeah it's yeah so disney plus is um the devil so yeah so coming in at our new number 197 above freddy versus jason and below venom uh, at 197 is gargoyles uh episode one awakening um god damn i'm i'm probably going to watch the rest of gargoyles now like having watched that like we're it's it's gonna be a household thing because like as soon as um because like it, at my household we were sort of like oh Disney Plus whatever it, and then they've got gargoyles and then like oh fuck like either we need to get Disney Plus or we need to buy gargoyles on DVD. Um, you can buy the box set gargoyles DVD for significantly less than the <laughs> amount of months you had to subscribe to watch gargoyles. Although that yeah. might be you know the gauntlet thrown down. Can you watch gargoyles fast <laughs> enough on Disney Plus? To make it cheaper than buying them on DVD. There we go. That's yeah. That's you gotta gotta be frugal. You gotta stretch your gargoyle dollar. Quincy, where can our listeners find us on the internet? We are on every podcasting app of choice, even on Spotify, where there's a band called Rank and Vile. They're the pretenders to the throne. We actually pre-exist that band's album release. Change your name, cowards. <laughs> Change your name, you fools. <laughs> Uh, so if you um, can leave us some sort of review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend, that's really helpful. We are also yeah. on our own website, rankandvile.com. Um, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash rankandvile. Um, coming very shortly is our raw audio of our Halloween special that didn't make it because the final version died, but we're going to put it on put it unvarnished it is um emily and me playing spooky dnd and it gets troublingly dark for what was what's <laughs> what started as a very light-hearted adventure gets upsetting yeah which and also yeah i i feel like dnd should always come to a point where it's like oh this got realer than i was 
caring to engage with right now. <laughs> so you can it's, listen yeah. to that shortly on patreon.com slash rank and vile. Um, you can listen to that for as little as uh, $5 a month for bonus content, um, $2 a month for um, our funny pictures of gargoyles in our show notes. Um, <laughs> and show notes, yeah. We are on social media. We're on Twitter at Rank and Vilecast. We're on Instagram at Rank and Vile. We're on TikTok. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're <laughs> all over the place. It's it's we kind are, of a we problem. are just everywhere. It's it's a lot. Um, but yeah, barring that, that is about all I got. You got anything else? Uh, stay spooky, y'all. Later, folks.